Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. This past Sunday was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. To recognize this day, we showed a short video of a pastor who was beaten and left for dead. However, through his testimony and persistence, he was able to lead people in a new village to Christ. It's right after this video that Pastor Roy gets up to speak. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along. For us in our context in America, it's hard for us to relate to that kind of suffering and abuse. And yet, that's what God has called us to, is to be willing to suffer. I do think that our world is becoming more and more hostile toward Christianity every day. If we just consider what we've seen in the news in recent days, back in February, we saw 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were captured in Libya and beheaded by ISIS militants for confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. We also read about Aaron and Melissa Klein, owners of a bakery in Oregon who were fined $135,000 for refusing to bake a cake for a same-sex marriage. They endured daily hateful attacks on social media, received death threats, and feared for their family's safety. And then there's Baronel Stutzman, 70-year-old florist from Richland, Washington, who was fined $1,000 for refusing to provide flowers for a same-sex wedding ceremony. Kim Davis, a county clerk in Kentucky, spent five days in jail for defying a court order and refusing to give licenses to same-sex couples. When you and I begin to take a stand for Christ, God is calling us to suffer. It's not popular, but it is biblical. And I want to share with us today five ways we can honor God when we're going through suffering. I think it's crucial that we learn how to honor God through suffering and and realize what God has called us to. The first way we honor God through suffering is by thinking right. If you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, 1 Peter is a book about believers who are going through suffering. They have been scattered because of persecution. They are facing intense persecution and hardship. And so Peter reminds them of what they need to do. They need to think right about their persecution and their suffering. And beginning in verse 13, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. We need to set our hope on Jesus Christ. That's what will help us think right. If we look back over the first 12 verses of 1 Peter, we see that we have been given great mercy. We have been given a new birth. We have been given living hope. We have an inheritance that cannot be stripped from us. We have eternal life with Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest hope that anybody could ever have. And so the way we begin to think right is to begin to think about eternity and our suffering in light of eternity. So we prepare, how do we set our hope on Jesus Christ? We prepare our minds for action. Now the eastern peoples of the Bible, whenever 
they wanted to run somewhere or take a journey somewhere. They wore those long flowing robes. What they would have to do is reach down and they would pick that robe up and they would tuck it in their girdle or in their belt that went around their hips. Because if they didn't and they tried to take off fast without preparing themselves by pick, picking up that long flowing garment they just took off, they could fall flat on their face. That's what can happen to believers. If we try to go running out into the world and we're going to face suffering and opposition for God, we have to have a prepared mind to do so. We have to have the mind of Christ and look th at things eternally. That's what is required. In 1 Kings 18.46, here's what it says. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt... That's the idea that it's giving here, preparing our minds for action. Tucking our cloak into our belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. In Job 40, verse 7, he says, dress for action like a man. Because God was going to question him. I can't imagine a football player stepping onto a football field with no helmet and no shoulder pads and, and no preparation whatsoever. And that's the way it is for a life of a believer. If we run out into the world and we don't take time to renew our minds in God's Word, and then when we face difficulty or hardship or suffering or persecution, we're going to take it so personally and take offense to it rather than being able to take it in a way that God would have us take it. To prepare our minds for actions means to give strenuous thinking to it, disciplined thinking in our minds. The fullness of our salvation is not realized in this life. We have to remember that. We are pilgrims passing through. We have treasures laid up beyond the blue. We are going to heaven, and we will not realize the fullness of our salvation till we get there. And until we get there, we will face suffering and hardship and difficulty. But nothing will strip away that inheritance that God has given us. One commentator suggested that disciplined thinking requires effort, concentration, and intentionality. You know, with cold weather coming, I think very differently about how I dress, especially in South Dakota. I'm thinking big coats. I'm thinking thermal underwear. I'm thinking cold gear. I'm thinking portable heaters. I'm thinking electric blankets. When I go into the store, I'm looking for warm clothes. I'm just, I'm constantly thinking warm. Um, I went and watched uh, Lynn's grandson play football the other night, and, and I realized uh, partway through the game, I wasn't dressed warm enough. And thankfully, Lynn had an extra parka there. <laughs> he said he was still, I was probably still thinking I was living in Virginia. And I wasn't prepared. Guess what? Sometimes Christians aren't prepared for the suffering that comes. And what do we do then? We get bitter toward God. I have seen people get absolutely bitter toward God because God allowed something, some form of suffering into their life and they did not look at it in light of eternity, in light of an opportunity to bring glory to God, and they are bitter, absolutely bitter. And God wants to use that in their lives to magnify himself. We have to remember that suffering for God is a privilege. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you 
on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. In other words, God has graciously given us a privilege to suffer for him so that others might come to know him. I'm thinking about the disciples when they were, they were uh, called in and they had been flogged in Acts chapter 5. It says they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin doing what? Rejoicing. Right thinking. They were rejoicing. They were thinking right because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. I think about Alcide. Albedini, who has been in prison for about two or three years now, an Iranian prison, and he's rejoicing because he is leading people to Christ. Does he want to be home? I'm sure he does. But I'm sure he's also rejoicing over the fact that God is using his suffering to bring people to Christ. The second way is by being sober self-controlled. This means not just avoiding drunkenness, but also avoid becoming dull in my thinking. Because you see, if I allow just the influence of the world and the ways of the world, the mindset of the world, it'll actually dull my thinking. I'll start thinking like the world. I'll start acting like the world. I'll start embracing the mindset of the world. And I will not be disciplined in my thinking and serious-minded and self-controlled the way that God wants me to be. I will forget about God's salvation, His grace, His mercy, His provision. And I will become numb and lose my sensitivity toward God. There are so many people who try to medicate themselves when they're under pain in the world with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, with purchasing new things, a new car, new clothes, something new to make me feel good about myself when all the resources I have are in Jesus Christ. He's there for us. So right thinking is crucial for us to be able to deal with suffering in a way that honors the Lord. Secondly, by being holy. By being holy. We talked about right thinking, thinking the right thoughts. Being holy is about living right, doing the right things, holy living. Look down with me in chapter 1 again in 1 Peter verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy, because I am holy. It's an invitation for us, and it's not just an invitation, but it's actually conveying the idea that God is calling us out of darkness into light. When we are living a life of holiness, we are living in the light of God's truth. And when we live in the light of God's truth, we live the way Jesus lived. And that's what's so essential. We accept this call to holiness by first accepting the call to salvation, which means I choose to live the way Jesus lived. The call to salvation is a call to live in the light of truth. That's what God has called us to. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, what, out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Do you know what it means to be in darkness? It means to live in spiritual ignorance. It means to live in lostness and hopelessness. It means to be unable to live a life of holiness because I'm bound by my sin. My life is characterized by sin. And God has called me out of sin. He has called me out of immorality. He has called me out of impurity. He has called me out of bondage into his marvelous, wonderful light that I could be free to live a life of holiness for God. That's what he's called us to. He's called us a holy nation, a nation that is separated for God, a nation that is sanctified by living righteously and holy before God. Just as a child, you have to protect them from touching a hot uh, stove until they learn, until they gain knowledge that touching that stove is going to bring injury. So people living in spiritual darkness will continue to touch things like immorality and alcohol and illicit sex and all those things they touch, and it causes hurt and injury in their lives until they come to the knowledge of the truth and God calls them out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the privilege we have as believers to call people out of darkness into light. It means leaving our previous life, embracing a new life, coming out of a lifestyle that is characterized by sin and coming into a lifestyle that is characterized by righteousness. That I please the Lord. You see, the psalmist said that God's word was like a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. It was the guiding principle of his life. He looked at God's word. Here's what it says for those who are, do not want to come out of the, the darkness. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness. They loved sin. They loved unrighteousness. They loved immorality. They loved all those things instead of righteousness, holiness, and truth light because their deeds were evil everyone who does evil does what it hates the light it runs away why do people not want to come into church they don't want to hear the truth they don't want to hear the light it exposes them and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth does what comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We don't run from the light, we run to the light because we've been called out of darkness into the light that we might live for God. And it's living in that light that is going to allow us to be holy. And by being holy, I will go through suffering with the right attitude, with right thinking, and with right living when Jesus called the disciples to follow them, he was calling them to live a life the way he lived. That's what he called us to. But we also have to remember this. The way Jesus lived drew intense hostility. Hebrews 12.3 tells us this. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why do we read about Kim Davis and these other people? Because they've taken a stand, and when you take a stand, you can face intense hostility. 
when you preach against things in our culture that are not popular. He tells us in Luke 9.22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So how are we going to honor God through suffering? By right thinking and by holy living. Thirdly, by doing good. By doing good. This is talking about moral goodness, to glorify God. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We can actually do good when we are mistreated and done, done wrong. We can, we can do good, and we're going to see that in a minute in the life of Jesus. We can do good in the midst of incredible evil and wrong, just like we saw in the video with Pastor Sutta. God blesses the person who suffers for living in light of the truth. He blesses them. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. By doing good to others, we can silence the talk of foolish people. It's hard for them to point a finger at you when you come back with kindness and grace in the midst of being mistreated. In 1 Peter 3.17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Some of you will remember the movie The Hiding Place. There's a scene set in the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany. Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy are there along with 10,000 other women in horrible, degrading, hideous conditions. They are gathered with some of the women in the barracks in the midst of the beds, the cold and hungry and lice-ridden. And Betsy is leading a Bible class. One of the other women calls out derisively from her bunk, and mocks their worship of God. They fall into conversation, and this woman then speaks up and says what so frequently is flung at Christians. If your God is such a good God, why does he allow this kind of suffering? Dramatically, she tears off the bandages and old rags that binds her hands, displaying her broken, mangled fingers, and said, I'm the first violinist of the symphony of or orchestra. Did your God will this? For a moment, no one answers. Then Corey Ten Boom steps to the side of her sister and says, we can't answer that question. All we know is that our God came to this earth. He became one of us, and he suffered with us, and was crucified and died. And that he did for love. You see, even when somebody is mistreating us, even in a concentration camp, we can do good. But it comes from right thinking. It comes from being holy. It comes from doing good. God blesses the person who suffers for living in light of the truth. 
1 Peter 3, 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. God causes the person to be filled with joy. I think about Paul and Silas when they were in that Philippian jail. It says at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. Their backs had to be bleeding, their hands and feet in stocks and chains. But they prayed and sang praises to God. How does that happen? The Philippian jailer comes in after the earthquake and he's like, thinking they're all gone, he says, no, we're all here. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because of their goodness, their holiness, and their right thinking, in the midst of their suffering, this Philippian jailer gave his life to Christ. That's what it's all about. The people would come to Christ and know Jesus because it is so countercultural. We want to get even, we want revenge, we want to pay back evil for evil. And God says, overcome evil with good. He says in 1 Peter 2.19, it is commendable. If a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. To bear up, it means to not cave in. It means to be strengthened on the inside. That God strengthens us to be able to handle adversity and handle suffering in a way that would honor the Lord. Fourthly, we bring honor to the Lord in suffering by following Jesus. The call to suffering is a call to be like Jesus in the midst of our pain. It really is. Here's our memory verse for this week. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He has called us. Christ suffered. And think about it. If I am going to follow him and he went through suffering, then I'm going to go through suffering because my footsteps are right where his are. You see, when it talks about in this passage about being an example... It means a writing copy, a pattern, an example for imitation. It is like taking a piece of paper and put it, having a drawing on it, and then you take a blank piece of paper and you lay that blank piece of paper over that drawing, and a little child can trace that picture out perfectly by tracing a copy. And the copy looks just like the original or we think about in the wintertime when a, a, a father is walking out ahead of his son or his daughter and they try to, and they have footprints in the snow and the child's trying to put their foot in the same footprints. That's what he's saying. He's saying, to this you were called to follow Jesus and if he suffered, we are going to walk in the footsteps of suffering like Jesus did. But we'll point people to God in the process. That's what he's calling us to do. And when we think about the persecuted church, that's what God is calling us to do. 
To follow Jesus means to walk closely and diligently behind Jesus, to follow where his footprints lead, the directions his footprints take us. Jesus told the disciples to take up your cross and follow me in one passage, and then another passage he adds another word, take up your cross daily and follow me. Cross signifies pain, suffering, humiliation, ridicule, mockery. Jesus faced all of that. He's saying, are you going to be willing to face that for me? If you are, you've got to have right thinking. You've got to live a holy life. You've got to do good, and you have to follow Jesus, not your own path. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus means walking in the valley of humiliation and pain in the lowest and darkest depths, but they also assuredly lead through the valley, ending at glory. Let me give us four examples of what Jesus did not do in his suffering. Four things he did not do in his suffering. It's important not only what he did, but what he didn't do. The first thing was he committed no sin. He was perfect. He committed no sin. He was sinless in his conduct. There was not a single incident that Peter or any of the other disciples could point to and say, oh yeah, there's where Jesus messed up. Oh yeah, there's where he operated in the flesh. There's where he sinned and took things upon himself. Not one time did Jesus commit an evil act or do something from a selfish motive. He was sinless and spotless. He had an unblemished character. He committed no sin. It's vital that even when we go through suffering, we watch our mouth. We watch our tongue. Because what is the next one here? Well, here's a good verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God because he had no sin. Secondly, he never used deceitful speech. If he had, his enemies surely would have confronted him and pointed in his face, see, you're, you're, you're a fake, you're a fraud. Look at the language coming out of your mouth. And yet what happens to Christians when the squeeze comes on, the pressure comes out, what comes out of our mouth? What do we do? Are we willing to tell a little white lie? Are we willing to do something deceitful, say something deceitful to deceive somebody because, hey, I'm hurting and I'm going to do that? He never used deceitful speech. The Bible says in James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Never at fault at what he says. I wish I could say that in my own life. I can't. But I think that's the, that's the path that God wants us to take, to never use deceitful speech. Even in suffering. And by the way, slaves in the empire were notorious for using deceitful speech. Jesus was the opposite. Thirdly, he did not retaliate. 
Even though his opponent spoke with abusive and insulting language, he did not speak abusively and insultingly in return. They accused him by saying he was possessed with a devil. They called him a Samaritan, a wine-bibber, a blasphemer, a demoniac, a deceiver of the people, and yet he never retaliated. And the only way we can fulfill that is to think right, to be holy, to do good, to follow Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to retaliate. Human nature is when somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt you back. (laughs) You say something mean to me, I'm going to say something mean back to you. You mistreat me, I'm going to mistreat you, right? Jesus didn't do that. And fourthly, he made no threats. He was stripped of his clothes. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was spit on and nailed to a cross. And he never made a threat about punishing them. That's incredible. That's supernatural to do that. And yet that's what Jesus did. Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. What an example for us to follow. And then he had one example of what Jesus did do through his suffering. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He left all of the retribution up to his father. By trusting God. Here's the fifth way that we honor God through the midst of suffering, trusting God. We see this perfectly in the life of Jesus. Look in 1 Peter 4.19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what God is going to call us to in the future. But I do know this, the path to glory includes suffering. There are so many people who shrink back. All of us are tempted to shrink back when it comes to suffering. Do I want to suffer? No. (laughs) I think I'm as human as the rest. But yet God has called us to that. Why? So that God would be magnified and people would be drawn to him. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I have to tell you, as I was working on this message, I had everything pretty much ready to go. 
And a little after four this morning, God woke me up and had me change my outline. I think it's vital that we listen to the Lord. I don't know who needed to hear that message today, but I know somebody needed to hear it. I know I needed to hear it. Um, and, and, and so I had to change my outline. I had to change my PowerPoint and do all those things. And I, and I wish that as I was laying in bed this morning and God bringing that to me, I said, boy, I wish all the sermons would come that easy after. <laughs> um, but I really believe that God would have us have this message today in light of the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We are so comfortable in America that we forget about the suffering that goes on in our world. There have been more martyrs for their faith in the 20th century, the last century, than there were in the previous 19 centuries combined. So the hostility toward Christianity is increasing. And I don't think it's going to go away. And so I think we need to be reminded. And I trust that God will encourage you to think rightly about your suffering. And I'm not talking about just a broken video game or something like that. I'm talking about intense suffering where we go through something that only God can bring us through, that God has called us to. So I would ask us to, to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And, and while you do that, let me ask you a question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to suffer in other ways from your sin. And God wants to deliver you from your sin. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross and to go through this suffering for you and for me. In fact, Peter tells us in his writing in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's why he died to bring us to God, into an intimate relationship with the living God. And I want you to consider the suffering of Christ. And maybe you're going through something this morning, some type of suffering, whether it's physical, financial, relational. I don't know what kind of suffering you're going through right now. But maybe you're going through something personally right now. And I want to remind you that God is there. You need to read those first few verses of 1 Peter his great mercy has given us new birth, a living hope. He wants to purify us through the suffering. And so I would encourage you to look to the Lord so that your thinking is right and you are holy in what you are doing and you are doing good and you are following Jesus and you are trusting God. That's what's going to bring glory to God and honor to God when we go through our suffering. If you have questions, I'll be here shaking hands with people in the back. I'd be glad to talk with you. Tell you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.